Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David begins a new series on the prophets called Teaching Through Stories. Let's listen. We are doing a summer of parables and each thing up here is going to represent a different parable. Today, I ordered these gold bars because the gold bars are going to represent today's parable. And yes, when I ordered these on Amazon this week, I thought they were full size. <laughs> and here's how they came. Just these little mini gold bars, but you still get the point, right? So keep this in mind. It will relate to our parable this morning. All right, I want to begin with a story. And it's a story of the time in my life where I have been the hottest and most humid for the longest amount of time. Yes, I was serving uh, in Belize for a week, leading high schoolers on a mission trip. And we went about two hours inland into the jungles of Belize, and where we were staying had no air conditioning. And so even at night, when the low is 80 and the humidity dew point is still way up, all night you sweat. When you take a shower, and you think, I'm going to be refreshed after this. You walk out, and you're wet and hot. And then even going to the church to work uh, during the day, the church was not air conditioning, and so there was no break. No break at all. It was the hottest I've ever been. To make matters worse, this was an area with a lot of malaria, so you had to use the, the bug spray that had the heavy DEET in it that just sticks to you and doesn't let go. Well, about midway through the week, the, the teenagers started complaining. Now, they'd been complaining all week, but they got louder about midweek. And there were 30 of us there. Five of them came to me and said, David, we're dying. I said, you're not dying. You're fine. And they're like, please, please, we, we need some sort of break. And they said, we noticed a bakery just a couple blocks from here. Can we sneak away just, just for a little bit? from the rest of the group and see if we can find like a cold uh, beverage of some kind. And I said, okay, okay, we can sneak away. And so we did, and we walked into this bakery that was no larger than a small bedroom, and immediately we were hit with cold air. Yes, this tiny little bakery in the middle of a village in Belize had air conditioning. Oh, our break ended up being much longer than I anticipated that day as we finally got cool for a little bit of time. After an hour or so, I said, all right, group, we need to go. We need to get back to the rest of those 30 people who are still working hard. And one of the students in a panicked voice said, but David, we can't tell them. I said, what? What do you mean we can't tell them? And another student piped up and said, no, she's right. If we tell them this room is so small, we won't be able to fit in here if all 30 people know. Well, I'm a pastor, so I'm like, we're telling them. This is the right thing to do. But that really got me thinking about a part of our human nature. And it's a part of our human nature that you're going to read in our parable today. And I, I believe it's true for you. I know it's true for me. It's that there are times that we experience something good, and we don't want other people to experience that very same thing. 
So won't you watch for that part of human nature pop up in our parable today? Now, since we're going to spend the entire summer talking and studying parables, we need to know a little bit about them. So here are two pieces of introductory information. The first is that parables are made-up stories that illustrate a point. Uh, We still have these today. Think about fairy tales, where you get to the end of the fairy tale, and then they ask, what's the moral of the story? Right, the whole story was made up in order to teach one specific moral. That's a little bit about what the parables are, but they're not trying to, to teach general truths like fairy tales are. Instead, they're trying to teach you something specific about God. So these are made-up stories seeking to teach you a specific point about God. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that parables operate in extremes. Yes, Jesus really wants to snag his audience. He wants his audience to, to lean in and say, wait, what did you just say? I want to know the end of this story. And so parables are not necessarily realistic stories. They're not meant to be. Instead, they operate in extremes to draw the audience in, become engaged enough where they can then learn the truth about God. Okay, our parable today comes from Matthew 18, and here's how it begins. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Well, 10,000 talents sounds like a lot of money, right? But we don't really know. We, We don't operate in the currency of talents. So I did a little bit of digging this week. And here's what I found. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. That clears it up, right? Well, not so much, because we don't operate in denarii either. So I did a little bit of more digging. One denarii equals roughly one day's labor. So one talent roughly equals 6,000 days of work. A single talent equates half a lifetime worth of income. If that's true for one talent, then how much does 10,000 talents equate to? Yeah, 10,000 talents roughly equates to 60 million denarii. Remember how I told you that the parables operate in extremes. Now you are seeing that firsthand. It's impossible for one person to owe this amount of money, 60 million denarii. And that's because Jesus wants us to imagine a sum of money that is so large, it would be inconceivable to ever be able to pay it back. Imagine for a moment that you owed that amount of money. Imagine for a moment that you owed an amount of money that you had no conceivable way of ever paying it back. Not even if you won the lottery. Not even if you were given a large inheritance. Zero chance. How would you feel? Probably pretty hopeless, powerless, scared. So what we are wondering at this point in the parable is what will the king do with this man who owes more than he could ever hope to pay off? Our scripture continues. Since he was not able to pay, 
The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Yes, this man who owes such a debt, well, he sees his whole life falling apart in front of him. He sees the king saying, I'm going to take away your family. I'm going to take away everything you own. Your very livelihood is now mine. And so what's the only possibility of response in a moment like that? Well, he falls to his knees, and he begs for mercy. He tells the king, please, just give me a little more time and I will be able to pay it back, which of course is not true, because no one could pay back that sum of money. But in the profound twist in this parable, the king chooses to have mercy. Yes, now, the king cancels the entire debt of the man. The good note, or this is a good time to note, that each character in this story represents a real person. In all the parables, they represent real people. The king in this story, or the master, that's God. The one to whom the debt is owed, that represents God. And the indebted servant, that represents you, and that represents me. Yes, it is like you and I owe God a debt so large that we would never be able to make it right, which is true isn't it? I mean, in our brokenness and in our pain, we look at what God has done on our behalf and we admit, God, there's no way that I could ever make it up to you. God, there's no way that I could repay the amount of grace and love that you've freely shown to me in my life. And at this moment, it's like God is saying, I don't want you to. I don't want you to try to get even with God, to make it up to God. I don't want you to try to earn God's approval or grace or forgiveness. No, God simply says, your debt is canceled. Well, that's the end of the story, right? Good news. Not quite. No, the story continues. It says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. All right, a very familiar scene is playing out here, isn't it? Except this time, instead of the servant with the king, it's the servant with his fellow servant. And the debt that is owed is a much smaller debt. It's not 60 million denarii, but instead, it's the rough equivalent to three to four months' worth of labor. It pales in comparison to what the first man owed. And so the servant does what we just saw the parallel of early in the story. He falls to his knees, and he begs for forgiveness. The servant, who had this outstanding debt canceled by the king, has the opportunity to do the same. How will he respond? The verse continues. But he 
refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Yes, the man who had received compassion shows no compassion. The man who had received mercy shows no mercy. The man who had his future given back to him takes the future of his fellow servant. Why? What is the motivation of this servant? Well, maybe we should ask ourselves that question. Because remember, the servant in this story is supposed to represent us. Now, you and I, we have been forgiven a massive debt from God. We have been shown mercy and compassion on a scale that is almost incomprehensible. What this parable is implying is that that should change us. That should change our very identity. That should change how we view ourselves. We are forgiven people. We are redeemed people. That is who we are because of what God has done on our behalf. And not only should that change how we see ourselves, but that should change how then we view other people. Here's a, a handy little saying that I hope we'll memorize and remind you of the point of this parable. And it's that forgiven people freely forgive others. Forgiven people, that's you and that's me. God has canceled your debt. God has forgiven you and forgiven people like us. We are to freely share that forgiveness then with others. Easier said than done, right? Let's now put some flesh to this principle. Think of how easy it is to hold a grudge against someone. I mean, it's tempting to harbor anger in our hearts and resentment towards those that we believe have harmed us in some way, to those whom owe us a debt. Go ahead and think of someone in your own life who really is getting under your skin, who you believe has wronged you in some way, who you believe has hurt you, either intentionally or unintentionally. What we want to do, our human nature wants to just hold on to that anger. It makes us feel righteous in response. And they may not even know that we're upset with them, but we know because we're holding on to it. We feel that within us. But the parable says, no, no, no. You're different than that. You're forgiven. So you don't need to carry around that anger and resentment like a heavy sack with you all of the time into your interactions. No, you lay that sack down. You're a forgiven person. You are redeemed. Yes, this story teaches us who we are and how to interact with others around us. Unfortunately, the servant in this story, he acts as a bit of a uh, warning of what not to do. He does not forgive. And this is what his master does in response. This is how the parable ends. We're told, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured 
until he should pay back all that he owed, which of course is impossible. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Yes, what we're told in this parable is that if mercy is a characteristic of God, then mercy should be a characteristic of God's people as well. So, you still have that person in your mind, that person who has wronged you in some way, that person that you're harboring that grudge or resentment about. The scripture this morning encourages you to take a step towards forgiveness. Yes, who are you avoiding? Who are you just plain mad at? Now, I want to make it clear that forgiveness doesn't mean that the person who, who harmed you is right or that what they did to you was okay. That's not what forgiveness means. And to forgive someone doesn't mean to let an unhealthy person continue to hurt you or to continue to be in your life. No boundaries are both necessary and biblical. But what forgiveness does mean is that you refuse to carry that burden any longer, that burden that was never yours to carry in the first place. Forgiveness means that you, in your heart, let go of that anger and that pain and choose to move forward with God who has forgiven you. So remember People of unity, forgiven people, freely forgive others. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.